Welcome to The Waitlist. I'm Alex. I'm a student trainee psychotherapist in the UK. According to MIND, there are 1.6 million people on the waiting list for mental health treatment with the NHS. A further 8 million can't get on the list because they're not deemed unwell enough. My aim for The Waitlist podcast is to explore different ways we can support our own mental health. I'll be interviewing people with a range of perspectives on mental well-being, including psychotherapy. If something piques your interest, I'd encourage you to do your own research. I'll be sharing resources in the show notes. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Today we're joined by Jo Woodhurst. Jo is Head of Nutrition at Ancient and Brave. She's a member of the Complementary and Natural Healthcare Council, as well as being accredited by the British Association for Nutrition and Lifestyle Medicine. Before training as a nutritionist, Jo was an infant school teacher and when reaching her 30s decided to take more control of her own health and well-being. And in this episode, we'll explore with Jo how nutrition can impact our mental well-being. So Jo, welcome to the waitlist. Thank you, Alex. Delighted to be here, of course. So I like to start each episode of The Waitlist with a question which I borrowed from Alan de Botton, which is, how are you mad? Well, it's a tricky one. Isn't it? What I would probably say is I can, I can, be, I can have major contrasts in my, myself. So I love going to festivals and live music gigs, but I also feel like I'm a bit of a basic manner at heart as well. So love comfy slippers and watching Strictly on a Saturday and <laughs> so yeah I think I can't quite pinpoint you know that middle ground sometimes so you know being in nutrition as well take my health and wellness very seriously I do lots of yoga and that can kind of seem quite grounded and serious but a lot of the time I don't feel that I'm always that grounded I can be a bit of a wild child when I want to be. Thank you for sharing that. Firstly I suppose I just want to ask what does a nutritionist actually do? What does that involve? So much. <laughs> and it's really hard to put it down into one word, that a nutritionist. I guess what the proper answer is, is we provide evidence-based information or guidance around how nutrition can impact our lives and our health and well-being. What I deal in is naturopathic nutrition. That's what I was trained in. And that takes more of a holistic viewpoint about our health and well-being. It really puts food and the centre is me- as medicine, so how we use food to impact so how we feel, how we can make changes in the body, um, as well as lifestyle choices as well. So what naturopathic nutrition does compared to just sort of your basic, not basic, nutrition isn't basic, but your um, other understanding of nutrition would be that we really marry together traditional medicines like Ayurveda and um traditional Chinese medicine and those ancient wisdoms alongside the science as well so we kind of use both best of both worlds best of both worlds and and it's understanding that there is wisdom in both of these things as well mm-hmm. and can you share a little bit about how you came to be a nutritionist what was your journey yeah so I feel like it's it did start when I was young as many things do in our lives I was given a really great foundation of um, health and wellness. So I was brought up in the countryside. I was outside a lot. And, you know, I was brought up in a house where we very luckily had lots of home-cooked meals. We had organic food before it was the trendy thing to do. And as I was growing up, my mum was was extremely into health and wellness. She was a nurse. But then during sort of like my late childhood and early teens, she then developed brain cancer. And that was a real turning point for me and, and influenced the rest of my life, really. So where she um, was finding her way through brain cancer, she also changed her whole diet and lifestyle. So she was initially given six months to live, and she managed to extend that to a further 10 to 15 years. I can't actually remember the time scale anymore, but she did that through her changes in her own health and wellness. Um, she took on lots of yoga practices. She completely changed her nutrition. And we saw that and we were brought along with a lot of it as well because, you know, she cooked the meal. So I was so lucky because I got to have her for so much longer than we were expected because of the change she made. And it had such a powerful impact on me um, throughout my life. But I, I didn't really understand that or know that until she passed away, sadly. Before she passed away, it was sort of like another kind of 
story into it, during my 20s, I kind of lost my own way with my health and wellness. I was an infant teacher and I was burning the candles at both ends. I loved my job. I put a lot into it, but I definitely worked hard and played hard during that time. I wasn't eating as well as I wanted to. I was punishing myself in the gym, you know, to make up for any weekend indiscretions. And uh, I was in a pretty miserable place in terms of my mental health, you know, and my physical health. Never just felt brilliant either. But then eventually when my mother did pass away, everything kind of seemed to click into place. I understood what she did and why she did it and all those messages that were being subliminally sent to me. Um, and wanting to make that change as well in my career um, at that point, it just, it led me into everything coming together to to start to train in nutrition, which I did at the same time as being a teacher, which was bonkers and really hard work. But I'm so glad I did. It changed, it changed my whole life and I've never felt more well. I'm able to support my family with their health as well and have a career where I'm extremely passionate about. Thank you so much for sharing that story. So at the waitlist, we are talking about mental health and I'm wondering in what ways can our nutrition impact our mental well-being? Gosh, there's, there's just so, there's so many ways and it's such a broad, complex topic. Um, I know before we jumped on um, to this podcast, we were talking about how everybody's so individual and that is, that has to be taken into consideration when you're talking about nutrition and mental health, depending on where people are at with their mental health and um, their, you know, overall health and also where they're at with their nutrition as well. A simplified version is to think about four different prongs when it comes to nutrition and how our brain functions really. So the first one is the nutrients itself. So nutrients are basically the building blocks of what our brain is made out of. If you're not putting the right nutrients in or you're deficient of some nutrients or there's um, some of us genetically aren't very good at using nutrients in the right way, if that's a factor, then that's absolutely going to impact your brain health. You don't have the building blocks to start with. So that's really going to be an issue for people. Second up is the gut. So... You know, gut health is such a big thing now. And, and luckily, we're learning a lot more about it. They're only at the tip of the iceberg of what we know about the gut, which is so exciting. But something that we do know for sure is that the gut is linked to the brain from the moment of conception. When, our, you know, when a fetus starts to develop, we are seeing a link between the gut and the brain consistently. We have this huge nerve that goes in between and there's this biodirectional conversation happening all the time between the gut and the brain. And that includes our gut microbes as well. So our gut microbes influence how we think, which is huge. So if you think about the gut as a passageway into which all our food is going through, of course that your food is going to then influence how you feel. And it can happen in moments, a moment uh, you know, of taking something in. So there's the, the gut-brain link. And the next prong is about our nervous system. So we know our nervous system impacts our mental health and how we feel, how we react to things, how our mood is and how we switch into our fight or flight response. And food can really influence this. So if we're not getting the right amount of food, if we're not getting the right balance of food, if we are going through sort of fasting protocols, but we're also really stressed, we're tipping over into this fight and flight mode, it can absolutely impact our mental health. And, you know, we're in January at the moment, and you know, there's so many messages around, you shouldn't eat this, and you need to restrict that. And that can have such massive impact on our brain health. You know, that, that moment of restriction or over-restricting food or calorie deficiency has a huge impact on our mental health as well. And then the last kind of link in the puzzle is our immune system. So when we're thinking about our immune system in terms of our brain health, we're thinking a lot about inflammation. So inflammation is a key driver into most chronic illnesses that we know, as well as acute illnesses too. But in terms of the brain, if the brain is inflamed, then that highly affects our mood and has an impact on things like depression, anxiety, whole host of things. So if our immune system is constantly turned on, then that's going to have an impact on how we feel um, day to day. So inflammation is really, it's luckily quite easy for us to understand and see because of our, on the outside of our body, because of our skin. So if you've ever had a cut and it's become infected, it's become inflamed, that's inflammation in itself. So you've got redness, it's sore to touch, and you're going to have some swelling. You can have that systemically in your body and also in your brain. And you should think about how that's impacting your neurons, how that's impacting 
how you feel. Often when we're ill, you know, there's inflammation then. And if you think about if you're poorly or sick, we've never had flu or anything, you want to retreat. You want to go into your little cave and get better. You don't want to see people necessarily. These are all very clear signs of depression also. So you can see how it really impacts the brain. Now, luckily, our immune system is highly influenced by the foods we eat. 70 to 80% of the immune system is found in our gut, in our gut bacteria. So we can influence how well our immune system works by um, eating the right foods, by supporting the immune system, giving it the nutrients it needs to work and the energy that it needs to be able to work. You know, the immune system is hard. It takes a lot of energy to be able to do its job. That is such a good list. And those four key areas, it's kind of like pinging things for me on like, okay, well, that makes sense. And I've heard a bit over here and, but linking it all together just feels really important. In your practice as a nutritionist, if a client comes to you looking to kind of feel better in themselves, so we're not kind of in the business of diagnosing, feeling better in themselves when it comes to their mental well-being, what, what sort of questions might you be asking them and what might they be asking you about? So again, because people are so individual, it's about trying to for me, it's about trying to connect the dots, especially in those four areas that we talked about. So I would be trying to get an understanding if there is a level of inflammation going on, if whether there's any foods or anything else that trigger them, how they're feeling on a day-to-day basis. I'd be talking a lot about their gut health. So um, people can get a bit squeamish about some of the conversations that we have, but I will ask people about, you know, their poo and what's happening. <laughs> but it tells me so much. It's like a daily report card for me um, in terms of the information that it can give me. So I'll be asking people about that. I'll be asking people about the types of food they, they like to eat, how, you know, how much food, what time they eat. Um, all of these things impact how our brain works. Um, and I'll also be asking people about every section of their bodily system. So looking at their immune health, we'll look at the circulatory system, we'll look at their hormone health. There'll be questions in each section because we know it's all linked. So what I need to do, what my job as a nutritionist to do is to find those areas which they need more support in, which they might need some nutrients, which are going to really support them in that area. Find if there's any gaps in their diet, what's missing from their diet and make sure that I bridge those gaps as well. So luckily for a nutritionist compared to somebody like a GP who gets 10 minutes with you, they want to figure out what's going on and, and be able to um, you know diagnose you. I don't deal with diagnosis, but what I do do is, is spend an hour if not more talking through everything about your health and also why you are in the situation that you're in as well how you got there what triggered it we do talk about lifestyle changes as well you know it is a holistic um, therapy so we talk about stress levels and how that impacts everything from your gut health to your immune health and what you've got in place to be able to support that as well and what nutrients might support those too so what I ask and um the order in which I ask is all it's different every time because things will take us in different directions and everybody is so unique and it's my privilege that I'm able to do that as well because I don't have to follow a strict protocol of these are the exact questions to ask I can kind of go with how people are and where they're at and meet them where they're at as well. It sounds like in that initial conversation that client is kind of dropping clues for you and it might not be necessarily oh well I'm struggling with this but in getting that magnifying glass out around different areas of their lifestyle or their body their poo (laughs) it's kind of dropping clues for for a professional like you to kind of join the dots as you say and think okay well this might be something we can experiment with but I would also imagine there's not a single answer because what you're saying is everyone's so individual yeah so individual you know there's a genetic component to everything that we do as well. I do functional testing. So we can look at the draws. We can look at numbers. Ultimately, what people are telling me is really interesting, really important. And often people haven't taken the time to, or been asked the right questions, maybe, to really map out what's happened for them across their lives. And I've had some real aha moments, not from me, but from clients when we've done it in a chronological order. Okay, then what happened? And then did you go to this country? And then what happened? And then how did that lead on to this? And it's been that sort of those questions in historical order have suddenly brought everything back to someone going, oh my God, I think that's what triggered this autoimmune condition that I'm in, or that's what triggered this gut imbalance. And now it's never been right since that moment. 
And that's really important, but often we don't have the time as individuals to be able to sit sit down and go, what is that? What's that doing? Or sometimes it takes somebody to be able to zoom out on your life and pinpoint those key points that's really going to support people in, in finding out what to do next. Mm. And like having someone that can, as you say, and I'm not kind of GP bashing here, but having someone that can spend the time to really understand that story or whatever it is and investigate it together is like yeah. a joint process of discovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. A joint process of discovery, but also, you know, so many clients who say such beautiful things to me, like, oh, thank you so much. That really helped me with this. That really changed my year or, or, or my life or whatever. But really, it's them that's making the change. I'm just kind of pinpointing the direction or saying, you know, this X, Y, and Z can really help with this. It ultimately, within nutritional therapy, they're having to do the work. And if people aren't willing to put in that work, I'm not willing to make the changes. I don't know how to make the changes sometimes. It's not going to be as powerful as it could be. So it does take a lot of work from each individual client as well. So I would always advise someone going into nutritional therapy or seeing a nutritionist to be really ready to be able to take on changes because otherwise it, it, it's not going to have the impact that they're wanting. But those people who do, those people who really take on those plans on that points on the plan, who really kind of embed things into their life, they do see dramatic changes in their health. There's no doubt about it. And I would imagine like people coming that are ready for a change and they might not know what that is, but certainly ready to feel different. I would imagine that some people are coming in with some non-negotiables. I had a friend who kind of a weird quirk Katie for listening I adore you but she couldn't give up porridge and she was having some issues with various things um but that was her non-negotiable she loved her porridge in the morning it was a huge part of her routine I would imagine it can feel quite confronting to think am I just giving everything over to this person to tell me what to do but that's not what it is and I would imagine you're kind of spending some time negotiating what does feel right for you and how can we work with these yeah do you know what the tricky thing is with food is there's the foundations of food and nutrients and how we understand them, that's one part of nutrition. But then the emotional part is such a huge part. You know, we are, we are driven by emotion when it comes to food. It's embedded in us since we're, since we're small. You know, it's, it's comfort from when we're having, when, if we've been breastfed as a little one, all the way up to, you know, people saying to me, oh, comfort eating is my thing. You know, I'm really down about myself. It's like, no, that's been embedded. In us, since we were little, don't be worried about comfort eating. It's a natural thing to, to want to be able to do. Maybe we can look at the things that we're going to for, for doing that kind of thing, or if there's anything else that we can do to support it, if it's becoming a negative part of the life. But comfort eating in itself, nothing wrong with that inherently, because that's something we've been programmed from from a very young age. And celebration, you know, birthday cakes, we know food is fun. So when people feel like they're going to be told I'm not allowed to eat x y and z it can be really confronting and a bit scary for people I do think on the other hand though when foods aren't working for us when they're not the right food which again is different for everybody because of we know our genetic blueprint about how our gut bacteria is lying at that moment in time we do know deep down which foods don't work for us and it can take a little bit of support to help people understand a why that food might be helpful for us B, if there's something else we can do or C, you know, is there a way of negotiating around that food so it's not something that's going to impact our health in a negative way anymore, but we're not completely saying no. Unless somebody has a very specific reason to give up a food, so maybe a celiac and gluten intolerant people giving up bread, that kind of thing. Unless it's a really clear reason to give up those foods, I'm all about you know, taking on board all foods, you know, are really nourishing in different ways. So I'm less about the restriction and more about trying to help people understand the power of food and how amazing it is to have all these different ingredients to hand in our fridges and our cupboards. It's almost like having a little medicine kit around. So it can, there can be a lot, be a lot of an emotion tied with food and it's so understandable. I've got a few foods that I know probably are the best things for me but you know I can't help dipping my tongue sometimes and I do I you know sometimes the consequences aren't that nice for me <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those things that we're constantly trying to get that right balance with mm-hmm. so bringing this back to mental health you were talking earlier around um the four pillars and how that's kind of all connected and one of the impacts that we can find is we kind of shift into this 
fight or flight response, which again, not diagnosing here, but could be a kind of anxiety-like symptom. Um, and we know lots of people struggle with anxiety in different ways, whether that's a diagnosis or an off day or something more chronic. From your perspective, what can help alleviate anxiety? Mm, it's a big one. So again, it'd be kind of addressing what area of those four pillars you want to prioritize really or, or needs most work on. What I would say within the the fight and flight um, response is our nervous system is highly tied to our blood sugar balancing. So what that means is the types of food that we're eating and when we're eating can make us feel like, you know, we're either going to starvation mode or we're not. And that can be very stressful for the body. So what I would say is if you do suffer from anxiety to give your body a bit of routine when it comes to food. So it knows food is coming. And when it knows food is coming, you're giving that message, I am safe. Now, this kind of goes against some of the new practices that are out there, so like intermittent fasting, for example, that's such a big thing at the moment. And for good reason, we've got some really good evidence and research that it's really great for longevity. It can have some really amazing impact on our body. But if you're already anxious, I wouldn't recommend it's the first thing you look at. So first thing I would look at is getting a really decent breakfast in that balance, a really nice balanced breakfast. So your friend who loves porridge, brilliant. I think oats can be really um, satiating and they're a real balancer as well. You know, in herbal medicine, oats are used as a herb because they're so powerful in how they calm us. If you ever feel quite sleepy after having oats, that might be one of the impacts. It could also be a sign that your blood sugar is out of that balance as well. So for me, if I have porridge and nothing, nothing else within it, just, you know, porridge and milk, I'll feel hungry after an hour. And that's telling me that my blood sugars are in balance. And then I could possibly go into a bit of a fight and flight response when I start to reach for snacks or my body's believing that it needs more food. So a good way to balance it is to add a really good source of protein. So protein-based breakfasts have so many benefits, but one of them, it keeps us satiated and it tells our body everything is fine, everything is safe, you don't need to go into stress or overwhelm. So a good protein breakfast would be my number one tip. Hydration would be another tip so that we do know that levels of dehydration are linked to anxiety. It can give us the same effect of anxiety. So making sure that you're always keeping well hydrated is a really important thing. Um, and also just giving the body a little bit of a break in between meals as well. So um, we don't want to go too far until you're feeling quite stressed, but you want to be giving your guts time to reset, time to have a clean up, if you will. Um, and that's really going to support your gut bacteria. We know that your gut bacteria is linked to things like anxiety. So if you're giving your gut some time to reset and rest, you're not constantly grazing, that's going to really support um, you in the long term as well in terms of um, how you feel. So some nice breaks in between your really lovely nourishing balanced meals. So some really good tips there in terms of food and also that part of routine that you mentioned at the beginning and kind of sending those really clear signals to ourselves. I would imagine that part of training as a nutritionist is also looking at things where perhaps we aren't able to get everything from our food for whatever reason what power do supplements or could supplements maybe is a better way to say it play in kind of topping things up particularly when we think about mental health exactly what you said there is topping things up so the danger in supplementation is when it's an instead of mentality and that's not the point of supplements supplements supplement your diet so first and foremost, you should always be looking at food and where you need to be making changes in food or what you need to be adding. Maybe a few things that might need to be taken down a level sometimes as well. Um, but where supplementation comes in, it can bridge the gap in any pieces, really. So first level is if somebody is deficient in something or becoming deficient in something like CMD, for example, we can really top up levels using supplementation. Key is quality. It has to be good quality, otherwise, I don't think there's much point in taking it. So, good quality supplementation, if we say that's exactly what we're talking about at the moment, that's going to have an impact on people trying to raise their levels and center nutrients. So, first of all, looking at some functional testing that can tell us some key nutrients that might be lacking. We can look at foods that can help with that, but also getting levels up with supplementation. And then the next kind of level is kind of just maintenance level. So 
you know, things like a really great robust multivitamin or something like collagen, which you can take every day, which we know is safe for most people. Those kind of things are really great for maintenance nutrition. So those people who feel like they're getting a lot from their diet already, but even with the best one in the world, you know, even as a nutritionist, there's days where I know I haven't eaten all the nutrient range of nutrients that I need to be eating in one day. It can be really hard to do that sometimes with busy lives. On top of that, our soils are now quite depleted in nutrition as well. So even if you're eating lots of plant foods and doing all the right things, getting all your veggies in, it's not necessarily got the right amount of nutrients in that we need. So you kind of just get the bit of an insurance policy taking your supplement every day, making sure you're keeping your levels where they want to be. Yeah, I've seen some really powerful changes in some people who are quite low in certain nutrients or who are using nutrients up quite quickly because of their stress levels or their anxiety. So magnesium is a key one. When we're stressed, we use a lot of magnesium and our body can become quite depleted quite quickly. So um, magnesium is also used in about 300 different enzymatic processes in the body, as well as during stressful times. So we need to keep our levels topped up. So magnesium is a really great um, mineral to be having, especially if you're feeling stressed or anxious. Mm, that's great. And you mentioned the quality of supplements. So say, let's take magnesium as an example. How how would we know, like, this is good quality versus this is less good? Mm. What, what sort of things do you need to look for? What I would say, I would go to brands that you really trust or brand team nutritionists trust. Nutritionists' job is to, to check all this for you. A lot of nutritionists are very happy to share the brands that they use because we want you guys to be getting the best as well. So I would go with some really good brands who are very clear about using the best forms of nutrients, talking about where they source their nutrients for, even into how they're packaging their nutrients. You know, if you have got um, a hormonal balancing multi-nutrient, but it's in a plastic container, I would question that whether that is a decent brand too, because, because we know that plastics can have an effect on our hormones. So just really thinking about what the brand is representing, what they're telling you, the information that they're given and how transparent they are about that information as well. I would really look to that. Every single nutrient that we have from magnesium to iron to our B vitamins, we have different types of nutrients or different forms of nutrients and each one acts a bit differently in the body. That can take a little bit of sifting through and a little bit of understanding in terms of nutrition. So I would look to the professionals who you trust to be able to give you the advice or, you know, think about the advice that they're giving in terms of what form is best for you to take as well and I guess in terms of resources you know the work that you guys do at Ancient and Brave Mm -hmm. is a great resource lots of content on there in terms of what's available what to look for yeah and I would imagine as well the accrediting bodies that I mentioned in your intro that you're part of exactly have lots of information as well yeah the band in particular are fantastic they leave no stone unturned you know they're really amazing at what they do and what they process and and the information that they're putting out so they're really good um, association to trust as well in terms of um, nutrition and lifestyle medicines and at ancient and brave what we try to do is um we try to make all our formulas pure potent and sustainable so Within that, we are always looking at high quality ingredients. We we won't release a product if we're not happy with it. You know, we're never trying to go for the cheapest, you know, most easy option. A lot of our formulations take a lot of challenges because because of these reasons. And that's important that you hear that from the, the brands that you're going to in terms of supplementation as well. Um, so, yeah, there is a lot to consider. And it, it can be really confusing for people out there because there's so much information. It's really hard to decide who to trust and who not to trust. And but yeah, go for go for people with governing bodies. You know, it's my job to see clients, it's my job to work for Age and Brave, but it's also my job to keep continuous professional development up. I have to do so many hours every um year, I have to forms. It's you know, it's an ongoing learning process for me. I have to keep a bridge of scientific research. So, you know, all of the um information is out there. It just takes a little bit of sifting through. So just mm. finding those people and brands that you really trust. And we can add some of those links in the show notes as well if people sure. are interested in exploring. And I suppose, you know, thinking about people exploring, if someone's kind of listening to this and wants to look at their nutrition further and perhaps with a professional like you, what can they expect? So, you know, how many sessions is it? What are the tests involved? Does it need to be one to one? 
And also, big question, and I'm sure there's not a single answer, like how much does it cost? Again, it's how long is a piece of string with all of those answers, honestly. So sessions wise, I would say at least two, but that's, you know, you're only going to really scratch the surface of the changes that you could be making even within those two sessions. The first session is a massive get to know you session. That's where your nutritionist is going to find out all about you and where you're at. They'll come up with a plan for you, but there's only going to be the beginning steps of your changes that happen there. And then the next session is going to be following up from that plan and where you're going to start to make more changes. And you want to think about it, building it up in layers and layers. So you know, with most nutritionists, they won't give you the overall, this is the massive plan that we're going to do over a year. They won't give you that in one go because it's just so overwhelming for people to make such massive changes. It'll be a lot of step-by-step guidance. It can range, you know, into what people can afford and what people are willing to be able to show up for as well. I've got clients who I've been seeing for years who don't necessarily need me to be, you know, making lots of changes for them anymore, but they like that I'm there to be able to keep them accountable. So it can be as as little as two, as many as ongoing, really. Mm. Um, and just to keep, you know, I'm here for them to ask questions. Things are coming out in you know, newspaper articles and media all the time. They come to me and go, what do you think about this? And should I be doing this? And that's a really good time for me to be able to see whether it's appropriate to them personally as well. So, yeah, that can that can be a range as well as, you know, the cost. It can be a whole range as well, depending on how experienced personnel, where they're located as well. Unfortunately, it can have a massive impact on how much um, sessions are. So I would say the average seems to be around um, about 85 to 95 for an initial session and then probably about 75 upwards for follow ups. But that can range up to 250 for the first session. You know, some people are charging as well. So. It's different for different um, practices. That's helpful. And we spoke at the beginning around around those four pillars and you shared a little bit around some of the questions that you might ask. But if someone's kind of starting their journey with a nutritionist and isn't really sure what to expect, what can they expect in that first session? Are there lots of tests involved? And what are the types of questions beyond the ones that you've already shared? So... In terms of testing, that's going to be dependent on the person. So it's not always testing involved. Some people just need some real support with what they're doing day to day in terms of their diet. But other people, especially for more complex cases, it can take a little bit of delving a bit deeper into exactly why this is happening for that person. So, you know, stool testing can tell us so much information about people's microbiomes. We can do testing on people's genetic blueprints, which can tell us why they're more likely to and do certain things than others, or if there's some bit vitamins that they might not be very good at processing, so they might need a bit more support with. And um, so there's a whole range of testing that we can do, hormonal testing, and um, there's urine testing, there's there's so many things. And um, so that's dependent on the person and it probably won't be determined until you've done your first session if you're if testing is appropriate for you. In terms of questions that we're going to ask, it's going to be what are your three or four main things that you want to get from this or may health issues or concerns that you want to be able to address because often within nutrition there's so much we can do there's so in such a broad perspective so we need to hone in on what's the priority and then your nutritionist will work with you into figuring out why there might be an imbalance in those areas and what we need to do to address that imbalance as well so there'll be questions about you know in terms of your immune health how many colds do you get every year and um, do you have Things that come up consistently, like are you always prone to sinusitis? Do you get rush a lot? Those kind of things are going to be determining. And also determine what's going on in your family history. Have you got family history of thyroiditis? Uh, you know, is a hypothyroidism there because we know there's a genetic link there. There's going to be a lot of delving into people's history, people's health history, but also what people currently do as well. So most nutritionists will ask for a, a three to five day food diary which we want you to be totally transparent about what you're eating. Don't try and do a really like amazing food diary that we're going to go, oh, everything's perfect because nobody eats perfectly. And we know that. What we want to do is see what foods you enjoy, what might be missing from your diet. That's so huge for us. What patterns we're seeing, or if there's foods that are coming up time and time and time again, linked to symptoms that you're having. You know, I read somewhere that most people within the Western world only eat 20 foods a year. So that's 20 of the same types of foods. So if we think about wheat, for example, bread, 
cereal, pasta. If you're having bread, cereal and pasta for breakfast, lunch and dinner, you're really only having wheat. That's so just one food out of thousands that we could be eating. So we're really lacking diversity in our diets now. So it's my job as a nutritionist to see where that diversity is lacking and where we can make some improvements in it. It's all about trying to find ways to make things just a little bit better for you. And that's going to have a huge impact on how you feel. That's so helpful. Thank you. So we spoke a bit there about um, supplements and kind of how to find out whether they're good quality, less good quality, and we'll share some resources in the notes about where to start that. What about finding a nutritionist? What should someone be looking for to know that they are appropriately qualified and the right person for you? So, so important. So there's a lot of health and well-being experts out there now. Um, I put experts in quotation marks because it doesn't always come with training. There's all these different levels. And if you're new to that kind of world, it can be really confronting and you know confusing for people. So again, I would look for an accredited body. So BAND, for example, they list all their practitioners who are um, accredited by them. So all of those practitioners will have gone through training and will be in clinical practice. So you can trust that they have the understanding they need to take you forward. I would also go through referrals as well. So people who have been through the process and they understand that they've gone to an accredited professional as well. So that's a really good way to find people too. Um, and the CNHC as well, they're also a governing body as well who um, can tell you if somebody is a, a appropriately qualified or not. People who are qualified will show their qualifications clearly on their website, on their Instagram, however they access their, the public's mail. They will shout about their qualifications because we know it's important for people to understand where they're coming in at. Yeah, and we can include that as well. You mentioned like, you know, lots of information on social media and you've had clients come to you that say, hey, I've seen this, what do you think? Mm. And for these professionals within these bodies, you mentioned CPD earlier, so continuous professional development. That's also a huge part of being accredited. Isn't mm-hmm. it? So mm-hmm. you, you are keeping up to speed with what's out there in the news and what feels like helpful information and perhaps less helpful information. Yeah, I can't keep my title registered nutritionist without doing my CPD. It, you, if you don't put the hours in, you lose your title and you have to kind of be able to start again in, in a way. So that is really important. And it's really important that I keep abreast of everything that's going on, which can be really hard, especially if you um, don't specialize in a certain area. There's a lot of information going on out there. So, you know, there's people trying different things all the time. And nutritional science is notoriously complicated because we only know so much in terms of the science as well. So we need to be keeping on learning and knowing that everything is a uh, a given every time as well so that's really important too so we spoke a little bit about costs as well and as you say that's a huge scale and there's no one right answer if somebody is interested in exploring their nutrition but at the moment they feel like cost is perhaps not an option for them to go and spend time with um with a qualified nutritionist what other options are there out there that might be more budget friendly So some cheaper sort of ways of going about tinkering with your own health and wellness is to look at our ancestors. So our ancestors laid the blueprint for good health, which was nutrition, rest and movement. So if you think about those three key areas and how you can make some more improvements in those areas, then you're bound to be able to feel a little bit better. So nutrition, look at including some good quality highly nutrient dense foods so when we talk about nutrient density we're really thinking about those foods that contain lots of vitamins and minerals or fibers or healthy fats or proteins but that doesn't have a huge impact on our energy um expenditure or levels as well we really want to try and pack in the nutrition as much as we can um into every meal and then you want to look at rest so rest is not just about sleep although that's very important but how you're relaxing what you're doing to to actively relax during the day take a moment to pause taking moments to ground yourself and bring yourself back and um, but also I mentioned sleep which is such an important pillar and something that as a mom of a toddler I know all too well is so <laughs> precious 
Um, but when we get our sleep right, it really does inform the rest of our health as well. If you've not slept well, you're more likely to make different choices with food, more likely to feel more hungry. So if you're getting your sleep right or you're really putting the effort into good quality sleep, it can really impact the rest of your health as well, including our brain health. It's really important for our brain health, really important to clear toxins from our brain and help the brain reset and repair. And then we talked about movement. So movement is incredibly important in terms of mental health because of a compound called BDNF. So that's brain-derived nootropic factor. And that is how we grow new brain cells. It's how our brain continues to grow and learn. And we know movement impacts this. We also know that things like high-fiber foods that support our gut bacteria also impact this. But movement in particular is really great for um, enhancing our BDNF. That's why I think a lot of people who start to work on their mental health they do find exercise a really key in to be able to feel a lot better and that can often then have a snowball effect at and then look at nutrition and then they want to sleep a bit better because they want to get to the gym on time and it can be a bit of a, a, a game change for people so i would look at those three key areas and how you can make little tinkers or improve them just a little bit i wanted to come on to sleep i'm personally like reading a lot around kind of sleep hygiene and it feels like there's a bit of a bubbling away type movement around that. Is that something that you discuss with your clients? Absolutely. So some key questions that we talked about at the beginning with, you know, things that I would talk about within our sessions is how many hours of sleep are you getting? Are you being woken up during the night? <clears throat> Do you suffer from insomnia? Are you waking too early? Um, do you feel well rested after sleep? Are you getting to bed on time? You're able to fall asleep earlier. All of these things tell me a little bit about your um, health and well-being. Um, and sometimes it can tell me about any nutrients that you might be deficient in as well. So they are key questions. But yeah, absolutely. Sleep is something that we always look into. It's one of the key pillars for health. So it's really important that clients are getting good sleep or they're prioritizing their sleep when they're working with me as well. Um, so we do talk a lot about sleep and sleep hygiene and how to get the best bang for your buck as well. So it's all about sleep quality is really important mm. too. And I think we've had a conversation before around like entering the day in the right way. So you mentioned having a really good breakfast with good protein that can support mm. you throughout the day. Um, I remember you shared with me, this is a little while ago now, because Joe and I know each other very well in case you <laughs> hadn't gathered. Um but around entering the day in a certain way, so water and lights mm -hmm. being really important mm -hmm. to start your day. Yeah. It's a really good way. I think, honestly, the morning routine for me is absolute favorite thing to work on with clients because it has such a big impact on the rest of the day and their health and how in control they feel in the day as well. So light informs us when we should be sleeping, when we should be awake, when we should be hungry, how our energy levels should be, how our hormones are impacted. Light tells us so many things, like tells the body so many things. So getting some really good quality morning light can be extremely beneficial to people. And that doesn't always have to mean, you know, going for a morning run for 20 minutes. It can mean literally stepping outside your door or lifting up to your window, getting some light that isn't through a window pane as well into your eyes for five to 10 minutes can really help reset what we call your circadian rhythm, which uh, has an impact on so many other things in our body. So light's really important. Really important that the first light of the day that you see isn't your phone. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> like so, so many people, but it's not our natural um, wavelength for light and it doesn't inform the brain properly in terms of what's happening. It's also important that the last light of the day that you see isn't your phone light as well, because again, that's not the natural light that we would be seeing at that time of the day normally. If you think about our ancestral blueprint, they wouldn't be used to seeing that type of light. So really getting to grips with light and light exposure and how many times a day to see light, that can really have a big impact. And then water, that should be your first drink of the day. You can pimp it up if you want with a bit of lemon juice or apple cider vinegar or a bit of salt or people trying all sorts of things, but, no, but just water can do as well. So a big drink of water you've slept or you've been without water from eight to 12 hours for some people really need to hydrate when you wake up in the morning so it's your first drink of the day shouldn't be coffee it should be water and then you can have your coffee <laughs> um but if you think of the morning routine as think about it as you know when you open your laptop and you bring up your web browser and you've got no tabs open nothing's open so 
you can really set the intention for the mm. day. Whereas if at the end of the day, you know, you've got all your tabs open and things are a bit wild, it's really hard to then put in a yoga class or then put in a really good, healthy um, habit where actually you just want to sit on the sofa and, and not think about anything. And that's completely understandable. But the morning you've got that free space in your head to be able to put in these really healthy routines. And I think that's a really good idea. Mm, that's such a good analogy, like not having the tabs open when you start the day and having a kind of moment to just reset. Yeah, reset and you decide. Mm. You decide what tabs to open first mm-hmm. and then you can deal with the rest of the day. Mm. And I think the light and water as well, you know, you were talking about those pillars in terms of our ancestors and how important that is. They didn't have a coffee in the morning. Like they weren't kind of running to work or on the tube, mm-hmm. lugging that down and actually getting those principles right can build the foundation to the treats that we might want later in the day. Totally. And you've got to think that, you know, we are quite ancient beings in terms of our genetics. So things have changed so much in our modern lifestyle, but really when it comes to our physiology and our biochemistry, very much the same as it was in, in our ancestors' days. There's been a few tweaks and changes, but we have to keep talking in a language that our body understands. And that is through good nutrition, through good hydration, through good sleep. All these things do impact our body. And when it understands what you're saying, it works a lot better for you. Amazing. Well, I want to move on to our final question, which is given your many years of experience as a nutritionist and also kind of your own journey as well, um, what's the one thing that you wish someone had told you about your nutrition before that you didn't know? So one of my biggest things, can I say a couple of things? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> What's the what's the one or many enough anything you want to say? I'll try to keep it succinct. So first of all is think about making changes in different levels. It can be really overwhelming to think that you've got to make a really radical change in your diet and lifestyle to go from eating how you're eating at the moment and rushing to work and doing all these things and trying to fit in an exercise class to then being a super zen person who eats kale and cabbage and whatever. That's too big of a step. So what you need to be thinking about is is different levels. And the way you do that is just trying to make things a little bit better each time, just making small improvements, little incremental steps. So in terms of nutrition, it might be, how do I get more greens in my diet? Can I sprinkle a bit of rocket onto something? Can I get some vegetables in the morning? Can I add more herbs and spices to my food? So it's just these tiny little changes that we can be looking at and they grow over time. So like we talked about the morning routine, your morning routine is that you get up, you look at your phone, you grab breakfast on the go, which is a croissant and a coffee, and you eat it on the train. That's your morning routine at the moment. That's fine. How are we going to make that a bit better? The next step might be get up in the morning. You don't look at your phone. You get your coffee and croissant, but maybe instead of a milky coffee, you get a black coffee and you still eat it on the train. Next level up from that might be get up in the morning, you drink a pint of water, you don't look at your phone, you grab your breakfast on the way but this time you might get an oatmeal muffin or a yogurt pot and you black coffee and when you're on the train you try and find a seat and you sit down and eat it so you're making these levels of changes which don't have to be this super zen yogi who's eating amazing foods and doing all these brilliant things it can just be these next sort of small steps ahead which leads me on to my next thing that I was going to say which is it's not a sprint this is your life. It's not a diet that you need to follow. This is a lifestyle change. So this is something you're going to do forever. You're going to tinker it and you're going to change it. It's going to adapt to how you are in in terms of your life and where you're at in terms of your life. But you need to think of your nutrition as this is the life I live now. This is how I eat now, not I'm on a diet for this amount of time to get to this X goal. It's forever. It's how you deal with your food and your nutrition forever. You can eat two or three meals a day for the rest of your life. And if you're not enjoying that process, if you're not thinking about that process and how it's impacting you, it can have really detrimental effects. So it's tried to put a positive spin on it. I want to enjoy the food I'm eating on these three times a day that I get to do it. And I want to make sure that I'm nourishing my body whilst I'm doing it as well. So just change the perspective and understanding it's a marathon and not a sprint. So if you do fall, if you do trip, just get yourself back up, take the next step keep going you don't have to scrap it completely and never never start again so I think that would be my two top tips for people who are starting they are great top tips and I think as well if you're 
uh, I can speak to my own experience. Like if I'm modifying things in a small way, as and when, if and I am going to say when, I kind of fall off the wagon because mm-hmm. everybody does. Mm-hmm. I know, Joe, that you do Absolutely. sometimes because it's about balance. Yeah. But when when we fall off the wagon or we feel like we're falling off the wagon, if we've got those little habits, they're so much easier to kind of get back on the horse. Mm-hmm. I'm mixing my analogies now, but it's less punishing. Yes. Because yeah. it's not a failure. Mm-hmm. It's just an intermittent change and we'll get back to it when we can get back to it that's it there's there's um so there's two types of goals that you can have there's extrinsic goals and intrinsic goals and extrinsic goals are those i want to get to x weight or i want to run x amount of miles in the marathon or lift x amount of weights and they can be great motivators they can be really helpful but the trouble with those is if you don't get to that goal it can be feel like failure or you can get levels of guilt or you know that I just start again on Monday feeling. Whereas intrinsic goals, what that means, what intrinsic means is um, good for the soul. So it's something that becomes a lifestyle and it becomes embedded within what you do and who you are as a person. Um, So in living by these intrinsic goals, which can be things like, you know, I just want to feel nourished and be be supportive in my body. And it comes from a place of love, really, rather than a place that I have to fix myself. So it's just, it's a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of a change of perspective, but it can really help mm. people. I mean, the amount of times I've said, I'll start again on Monday or I'll start this next month. Like I can't even count them. Mm. And I guess what that is telling me based on what you said is maybe the goal's not right. Like right. it's too big or it's, you know, not actually fulfilling me in the way that I want on the intrinsic. Yeah. Level. And what you can do is... Ever that goal is, ask yourself why. Why do you want to get to that weight? Or why do you want to run X amount of miles? And what's that going to bring you mm. to your life? And then ask yourself again, why? Why is that important to me? What does that mean for me? Because that, when you get to that part, that's big enough. Mm. That meaning is, you know, that's really going to keep you on the track of why you're doing these things. And when you get there, it's very easy. You know, I don't feel like the diet that I... I'm eating is restrictive in any way. I love the foods that I get to eat. I really enjoy cooking the foods I get to eat. And, you know, I don't feel restricted within my, my diet and lifestyle in what I'm doing because so much of it brings me so much joy and, and mm-hmm. um, good health. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining. There's so much in there. So really appreciate your time. Oh, I've loved it. It's been great. Thank you so much.